0: Our gracious Holy Father, we are so thankful that you have brought us here together and we've worshiped your name in song, we've heard your message in music, and now we get to hear it from your word, from the Bible and scripture, and I can't wait to hear from you, Lord, and I just pray that you will take this message and through your Holy Spirit that you will translated into a language that each person here will understand so that each person receives the message that you have for each of us. Only you can do that, Father, and I pray that you will speak to us in this moment. It is in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. So any Chronicles of Narnia fans in here? My son is a huge are you a fan? My son is a huge fan. He has read and reread all of those books over and over. Uh, in fact, I think he keeps a copy in the bathroom for emergencies. Um, so he's going to kill me when he finds out that I just told you that. So anyway, um, one of the books is called "The Voyage of the Don Treader." Don't know if you read that one. And there's the story in there or a part of the book that is very moving. It's about this boy named Eustace. Remember that story? Now, Eustace is a very selfish, a very greedy young boy. And um, he comes, he inherits a huge fortune. And so he starts dreaming about what he will do with that fortune and how comfortable his life will be. And uh, one day, he literally falls asleep on top of his treasure. And the next day, he wakes up no longer a boy, but now a dragon. Now, the next day, he realizes that he is in physical pain. He's in physical pain because the jewelry and the bracelets that he was wearing as a boy now are constricting his large dragon limbs. And so Aslan, the lion, sees his pain and his loneliness because as a dragon now, he can't be near his family and his loved ones, and he's isolated from society. And so Aslan takes him all the way up to a mountain and there's a whale in the middle of a garden, and uh, there's Eustace, and he looks at the water and thinks, boy, if I could just jump in that water, my pain will go away. Aslan knows what he's thinking, and he tells him, you must be undressed first." Eustace seems very confused because he's not wearing any clothes, but then he looks down and realizes, oh, I have scales. And so he grabs his claws and begins to tear at his scales, and he begins to tear at his skin, but realizes it's pointless because underneath the scale, there's even more dead skin. So Aslan, looks at him as he stands there defeated and he says, you will have to let me undress you. And Eustace seems very cautious because he knows Aslan has claws too. But his pain is getting stronger and stronger and so he realizes he has no choice but to trust the lion to do what he has to do to help him. So Aslan begins to tear at his skin and his thick layer. And underneath all of that layer and layer and layer of rough, thick, bumpy skin, there's smooth surface. And then after he's done, undressing him. He picks him up, throws him in the water, and as Eustace resurfaces, he is no longer a dragon. He is now a boy. Aslan picks him out of the water, and now he puts on fresh, brand new clothes on him. The lion, or I should say, the the experience of Eustace is very similar to an experience or season in the wilderness. It can be painful, it can be confusing, it can be unbearable, lonely, not very fun and sometimes even deadly. The wilderness can mean many things for many of us. It could be an agonizing question. Where should I go to college? Should I take that job? Is God calling me there? It could be a financial situation where the bills are piled high and the bank account goes lower and lower. Could be a physical illness, an emotional struggle, an employment battle, a relational misunderstanding, a personal failure or even a a, a reputation to salvage and on and on and on. We've all been there and at some point, we've all experienced that but wish to never go back. No one likes a season in the wilderness. It stirs us in difficult ways, and it takes us out of our comfort zone, doesn't it? But just like Eustace, we all have layers and scales and dead skin that cover up the beautiful creation underneath. And so at times, a time in the wilderness, it's not only important, it is necessary for our growth. And this, unfortunately, it's not a process to be rushed because in the rushing, we may miss the lessons the season intended to teach us. As I was thinking about my own experiences in the seasons of wilderness in my life, I was thinking about the things, behaviors, the attitudes that prevented me from making the most out of the season. There are three temptations that I myself have fallen into at times of pain and frustration. And these three temptations prevent us from hearing the voice of God when we are in the thick of the wilderness. So what are those things? And I will call them the three D's to avoid. When you're in school, you're asked to avoid a D, right? To shoot higher. And so think of this as the Ds to avoid. The first D stands for discouragement. That sounds kind of silly to be in the wilderness, to be in a difficult time and be asked not to get discouraged. But boy, that has been a tough one for me. I. I am blessed with a type A personality, one of those that when you think something should be one way and it doesn't happen that way, boy, that's hard. That's hard for me. And so when I think of something, an experience in the wilderness, that I feel, oh, it should be this way and it didn't happen that way, the first thing that happens inside of me is Discouragement Discouragement, because instead of listening to the voice of God, I give in to that voice of disappointment. Begin to sing a poor me tune and justify my anger because unchecked discouragement will always lead to anger. The focus turns on us, me, me, me. Instead of God, what are you trying to do here? So when we think about the Israelites, remember when God rescued the Israelites from Egypt, from slavery, he promised that he would take them to the promised land. And now this trip was 250 miles one way from Egypt to Canaan, which is the promised land. And that's not too far. Sure, they were walking, but That was not supposed to take 40 years, maybe a few months. So they were taken to the wilderness because God had to teach them how to rely on Him, how to trust on Him. But unfortunately, they had allowed the discouragement from their life in the past to create a home in them. In Exodus 6, Moses is reassuring them that God has not forgotten about them. God will see them through this, that God has already picked out promised land for them and that he will take them there. He is reassuring them that God has not forgotten about them. But we see their response to this uh, in Exodus 6, 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites this being the good news, that God is with them. But they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. All they could think of was their pain and their misery until discouragement became their identity. When left unchecked, discouragement wreaks havoc in our attitude, and until it's, if it's left unchecked, it will eventually spill out into other areas of our lives, including the legacy that we, leave, that we leave for others. After 40 years in the desert, the second generation of Israelites are still wandering through the desert, about to go into the promised land, and now they've been led by God, a cloud by day, a fire by night, they have seen miracles they have been given victories against their enemies they literally receive bread into their hands but as soon as they're told that their journey will be just a little longer because the land of edom refuses permission to let them in or go through they begin to grumble again numbers 21 four and five, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, why have you brought us out of Egypt? Is it to die? For there is no food and water, and we loathe this bread. They couldn't see past their discouragement. For 40 years, God tried to teach them to trust in Him and they could not, they could not. They were back at square one. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, he says, we ought to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We are not slaves to our thoughts. When discouragement creeps in, take a moment to recognize. Take a moment to recognize what it is and what it's keeping you from. So change your perspective. Rebuke it if you have to in the name of Jesus Christ because when you do that, it no longer has power over you. The second D stands for doubt. In the wilderness, we fall uh, in the temptation to believe that God is not good. That He's good sometimes, but He is not always good. That He's resentful, that He's ruthless, and that He cannot wait to punish you. Another temptation is to believe that there is no purpose in the pain. When we're tempted to doubt his power to see us through, to see us through the season of being in the wilderness, and then we just cannot see past that. Then we believe that it is up to us to find our way to the promised land. So one thing I can tell you for sure is that God does not cause your pain, but God does not waste your pain. There is purpose in the pain if you let him. And if you let him, there is healing and growth through the pain. God never wastes your time in the wilderness. Remember David? David was the youngest of all his siblings. And when Samuel came to anoint the new king who would would become the new king, all his siblings were gathered, but David was not there, and that's because David had the most dreaded job of them all, and that was to take care of the sheep. This was a job reserved for the weakest in the family. How about that for a label? So David was out doing the work that nobody wanted to do. He was the smallest, he was the shortest, and he was the youngest. So he had the responsibility that no one wanted. This, being a shepherd, was a very lonely job, a scary and dangerous job. Because there were real threats, not only to his life, but to all the animals and so it was his responsibility to protect himself and protect the animals. There was no one there with him because no one wanted that job. He was alone and he was the only one who could protect himself. And because of that he learned to work the sling very, very well. And I imagine that he would practice, he would look at a tree and maybe pick a spot and grab a stone and, aim at it and hit it until, over and over and over until he finally got the spot that he wanted. There was nothing else to do. He didn't have his iPad. He didn't have any games. So he practiced over and over and over until he got so good that he no longer feared any attacks from predators. It is believed that a well-worked sling is so deadly and was so deadly as a weapon that it can only be compared to us in our time to a shot by a .44 Magnum handgun. That's how impressive the sling was. In other words, by the time David met with the giant, Goliath had no chance against him. God had allowed his time in the wilderness as a training ground for that very moment. And we can all agree that God did not waste David's time in the wilderness. David's ability to kill the giant was a direct result of his time spent in the wilderness. So if God is good, He is good in the wilderness as he is good in the promised land. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. To know something is the exact opposite of doubting. Because we know God is good, we have no doubt that even in the wilderness, even in your darkest hour, He is working all things for our benefit. The last D stands for distance from God. And one of the biggest temptations that we face in dark times in the wilderness, when there is pain and frustration, is to pull away from God. It's a desire to fill our lives with noise, with activities, with other things that take our mind off of our situation, right? When we're hurting, it is difficult to embrace solitude because spending time alone with God may mean confronting our pain and our frustration. So it becomes easier to fill our lives with noise, to keep us from doing the hard work. How can I get to the promised land quicker? That becomes the question. Sadly, there are lessons that can only be learned in the thick of the wilderness, away from the distractions of the world. When we think that God is silent, his silence is an invitation to us to get quiet, to settle in to ask him, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to teach me, Lord? What should my attention be on at this moment? Anyone remembers the book, The Shack? It's probably been about eight, nine years. The author of the book, William Paul Young, he shares a lot about the inspiration that led him to write that book. At the tender age of six years old, he was sexually abused. At about when he was a teenager, that abuse led him to a pornography addiction. And then, after 15 years of marriage, he began a, an affair with his wife's with his wife's best friend. As if that weren't enough. He began to make some shady financial deals at work, and he knew that this was headed in a very bad direction. So after his wife found out, he never confessed, but he got caught, and after his wife found out, called him, texted him, I think, and said, I know, and eventually he confessed every single detail of his affair, and his wife said, even though I'm choosing to stay with you, I will never, for as long as I live, believe a wo- will believe a word out of your mouth. So, needless to say, this was a very trying time in his life, and he considered suicide, but thought, okay, well, let's try counseling first. He had nothing to lose at this point, so he searched in the yellow pages, and remember that, and uh, was looking for a Christian counselor and began to work through all the emotions, through all his, just trying to make sense of his life and his situation. Because of his foolish decisions, they were about to lose it all, his home, his house, jobs. And so he knew that they were headed in that direction, and he called about 12 of his friends, his closest friends, to tell them the situation, but specifically to ask them this. Please, do not rescue us from this, because you're probably going to be interfering with what God is trying to do in my heart. Can you imagine saying that? He says, there are about three or four of my friends that could have easily written a check and gotten me out of this situation. But instead, a few months later, a few of his friends were gathering around him at a courthouse, holding him as they auctioned out the house that he and his family had lived in for about 17 years. The family of six, uh, he had... um, Four children, family of six moved to a 900 square foot apartment. And he took three jobs to help make ends meet. And William said, as soon as I lost everything, joy fell on my lap like a ton of bricks. It sure was a difficult season in his life, but that's the place where he learned to trust God and where he found joy and contentment. And it is through that healing season in the wilderness that through that joy, the story that he wrote, the book, The Shack. Jeremy shared with us Psalm 42 earlier. Psalm 42 was also written out of a season of pain by the sons of Korah who served as worship leaders in the temple during the time of David. The heading in my Bible reads, yearning for God in the midst of distresses. And the author begins with not just a desire but more so a desperate need, a physical need for his soul. He says, verse one, as the deer pants for the water. So my soul pants for you. Can you just picture that visual? The closest thing I have to a deer in my house is our our black lab, Chloe. And Chloe loves toy balls. She can chase them all day long if you let her. If anyone is willing, she will chase that ball. And so the other day I was watching her as she got tired, and more tired, and more tired, and she got to the breaking point of needing rest. And so no one had to tell her that she needed to recover. Her body responded, this is her bringing the ball over and over, but her body responded with exhaustion, by panting. And so she's lucky that at this point, all she wants is water. And so she wobbles her way to the pool because she's lucky to live in Florida where there's a pool in every house. And she desperately just buries her head in the water. Just taking the water in and letting the the water rescue her from exhaustion. Are you in the wilderness? You know, I have been there more times than I care to share. And from my experience, the only thing that will truly satisfy your thirst, it's not pool water, but it is the living water. God As you read through Psalm 42, you realize that nothing really changes in the end. The author is still in a very difficult situation. He still has tears. He still has questions. He still wishes that things were differently in the end. But he realizes that his greatest need is to point his soul towards God. He wills himself to keep worshiping God taking those negative thoughts captive and submitting them to God. The writer refuses to listen to the voices of doubt and discouragement by drawing closer to God. So are you in in the living, are you living in the wilderness? Are you like Eustace trapped in a prison that you don't know how to get out of? Or maybe like David, stuck in a job that you just hate. Or maybe like William, so deep in dead that you don't know what's going to happen next. Trust that God is working all things together for your good. That even in the thick of the wilderness, He promises to make all things new. He promises to see you through. Whatever wilderness you're facing today, whether in life, family, work, know that God, know that God is able. He is able to turn your discouragement into courage. He's able to turn your doubt into faith and your distance from God into a closer walk with him. He is able and he is with you. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we believe that not only are you with us, but you are for us. You don't love us anymore when we're in the promised land and you don't love us any less when we're in the thick of the wilderness, Lord. And so with kindness, you called us towards you and with grace, you hold us near. Lord, we bring you our weary souls, our discouraged, doubting, deeply hurting souls. We trade it in for your peace and for your joys. You've promised that you will rejoice with those those who rejoice and you will weep with those who weep. And so we trust you with our burdens because we know that you care for us and you're working on our behalf. In the meantime, Lord, be with us in the wilderness. Help us draw near, draw us near to you. Help us learn the lessons that will benefit our growth and our development of our faith. So that on the other side of this trial, we will be one step closer to that creation you intended us to be. Give us grace for each day. Tug at our hearts when we wanna snuggle with doubt and discouragement, Lord, and pull us closer to you. Shake us out of our uncertainties and give us the strength and the courage to fight ahead. Lord, you are good and you are good all the time and we wanna believe that, Lord. We wanna live that out every day. We pray all these things in the name of jesus christ our lord our comforter and our friend to him be the glory amen